It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is where you can find everything from videos to our podcast to news. And Scott, this past weekend, we had a Japanese card that saw a title fight and probably one of the more entertaining title fights of the year so far. It's certainly one must even. Most of the ones we've seen so far have been a bit one-sided, I guess you could say, but this was... This is really hotly contested. Ten rounds of back and forth. One guy took the momentum. The other guy swung back in the second half of the fight. It was really good. Um, there is something about Japanese middleweight title fights that do tend to provide great action. Hard to explain why. The Japanese champions, let's be honest, are never world-class that way, if we're being truthful, but they do provide fantastic action, and that was the case when Kazuto Takasako retain his title with a draw against Shuji Kato at the weekend. Do you think it's because they're not world-class that's why we get good fights? Because they're not the most technically proficient? Possibly. I think there's often a, a bit of a style issue as well because we've had great fights uh, such as Makoto Fushigami's war with Koji Sato. They always seem to come when there's one pure puncher in there. In this case, Takisako. In the past, it was Koji Sato. Tomohiro Ebisu was another example. Against a more skilled, technical, defensively sounded puncher like um, Shuji Kato or Makoto Fushigami, it could just be the style, it could just be the way they've seemed to match up and limitations, of course, could provide some action. What did you think of the decision? I, I thought it was pretty fair. Um, I had Kato early on, but, but Takesako came on very strong there towards the end. Uh, what did you feel uh, or think about the decision? It's not too much an argument. It seemed like a draw. It was very close either way. Both fighters seemed to accept they didn't do enough to win. The judges had nothing separating them. The exciting thing, perhaps, is the fact that both are positive about a rematch. Maybe maybe that gets done later in the year. Yeah, this is one of those fights that I would love to see because those guys were fighting in a phone booth, and I would definitely want to watch it again. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust and uh, especially after being there in the ring with each other for one bout. But I think, uh, yeah, fans would definitely not mind seeing this again. No, no, it was a great fight. Kato had uh, 350 fans of his own filling out Korok Hall. If for someone who, if we're being honest, isn't that well-known, he has a huge fan base. Takasako, very unhappy about his performance. He was, before the fight, he was talking about moving on to world, world title bouts, world level. And basically suggested that if he couldn't beat Kato, he isn't below that level. So I think that actually is refreshing. It's a shame that we're not going to see one of them in with perhaps a Yuki Nonaka or a Shinobu Charlie Hosokawa next. Because, again, they'd be fantastic opponents. But put those four, Kato, Takisako, Nonaka, Hosokawa into ring together, you're going to end up with a great fight, whatever happens. I think Kato did a good job of just establishing that jab early on as well really continuing to throw it out and that's probably what kind of threw Takasako off just a little bit especially since Kato was a southpaw might have been a, a different look for him yeah yeah Kato is a very rangy southpaw very tricky Takasako is quite a short stout fighter so that, that job is always going to be an issue speaking of middleweights when are we going to see uh Murata back in the ring there's a rumor that he could be in the ring in late to mid-May. At the moment, nothing's been confirmed, but the rumor was somewhere on the 22nd or 23rd of May. 
Okay, so May is just going to be a crazy month of boxing. Yeah, May usually is where Japanese fight fans uh, get treated. It's usually May, and then September, and then December. The three sort of monthly circle. Also on the undercard uh, this weekend, we got to see a couple of prospects, including the bantamweight Minamide and uh, Takahashi, the welterweight. Yeah, there's also Masahiro Suzuki on there who impressed me as well. Takahashi, fantastic fighter, fantastic prospect. And there's going to be serious questions asked as to why General Dapidran was selected as the opponent. Dapidran had been stopped late last year by Rikitu Adachi. Probably, probably looked a better test on paper for Takahashi than he turned out to be. It was, it was a little bit embarrassing, if I'm being honest. I think Dapidran will probably be suspended by the JBC from fighting in Japan. And Minamide took a big step up in class. I really impressed when he beat Marjon Pantilgan of the Philippines. I think of the, of the uh, three prospects on the card, however, it's Masahiro Suzuki who stands out as being probably the best. He looked sensational last year when he made his debut against Antonio Sismundo. Uh, this weekend, he beat Calvin Tenorio. Not as good an opponent as Pant- yeah, Pantilgan but still a very good opponent. Suzuki showed all the tools to go very far. What's up with the super lightweight class in Japan? It, it seems that they they have some talent there with Koki Inoue really establishing himself, a guy like Suzuki, and then other youngsters like Andy Hiroka. It looks that way. It's a bit of a strange one. You kind of look at it, you kind of see anywhere. You see Okada, Valentin Hosokawa, Ricky Naito, Koichi Asa. Akihiro Kondo possibly in the mix as well. It's an interesting domestic division. I don't think any of the guys uh, should we think about world title dreams or anything like that. I think we saw Okada and Kondo suffer pretty noble losses in world title eliminator type belts. The fact is they're all in that sort of group together. They're all very competitive with each other. They should make some fantastic matchups over the next couple of years. Throw Koichi Aso in with any of them. He's going to make entertaining fights. Yeah, usually not a, a scene that you would think or a weight that you would think would be strong um, for Japanese fighters, but it's looking good. And you never know, one of those guys might be able to maybe scratch at the world title level. A guy like Koki Inoue is pretty strong. Of course, his cousin uh, is pretty used to dominating on the world scene. And I really like Andy Hiroka, although he definitely needs a little bit more polishing. Yeah, Hirawaka looks potentially the best of the bunch. He's very young, very talented, a natural athlete. There's perhaps a bit of maturity missing with him. And he's still just 22, 23. He's very tall, very rangy, very talented. There is work to be done with him, but he has got the potential to go all the way. He, along with Koki anyway, is at the Ohashi gym. Fantastic athlete. Looking ahead to this week or what we have this weekend, I, I think the big fight in terms of Asian boxing, it's Dimitri Bivol getting back in in the ring, going up against Joe Smith Jr., a title fight. This is actually going to be for the WBA light heavyweight title, which Dimitri holds currently. Yeah, Bivol, some will say he's Russian. <laughs> But he's got a Korean parent. He's born in Asia. He is... He's always done it. Um, he's a fantastic <laughs> fighter. He's a fantastic fighter. I've not been impressed by his last couple. I thought he squeaked past Chilamba. I don't think he impressed against Pascal. 
but this is this is a dangerous fight if we're being honest. Smith can Smith can be limited technically, but he can bang and he could be a real nightmare for Bivol in terms of his power. Bivol will have to be on it, on his game. I think Bivol's gonna be more than uh, more than talented enough to come on top. Bivol's like triple G, you know, we, we need to claim him because triple G again, it you know, half Asian or a little bit of Asian in his blood, and it's like, all right, he's ours. Yeah, exactly. He was born in Kazakhstan. He's always hands off. In terms of light heavyweight, I, I would say he's one of the top guys there. It's a really strange division, isn't it? You can sort of look at those top four guys, uh, Kvozik, Kovalev, Bivol, Baterbiev, maybe Brown as well. And I can't see anybody else competing with them five. It's Then like there's a, a, another group way down below them. It's interesting, too, because he's also considered moving down in weight for title opportunities and at 168 there are some guys who maybe could make a little bit more noise especially say if Canelo was to come up after um, winning a couple more titles at 160 but 168 there there's also some interesting fighters there there are uh, but how long are they reading instead there you look at Colin Smith and Dave Benavidez big guys uh, don't know what it's taking out of them, but they are really big. Zerdo's another one who's talking about moving out. We've got perhaps Chris Eubank Jr. who's going to be there for a while, but I don't see Smith, Ramirez, Benavides staying at 168 for long. Canelo moving up is the interesting one. Golovkin perhaps moving up. Especially since now they're all under the DAZN banner with Golovkin signing and then having Canelo there already. Those are fights that you could make a little bit easier. Even a guy like Callum Smith. Callum Smith, who's also part of DAZN, um, maybe that's why he's considering that? Possibly, yeah. Um, the problem with, with some of these guys, it seems like a lot of them are perhaps getting newspaper columns, getting media columns, getting media time with bouts that aren't likely to happen, but it would be interesting to think about. If we're talking about Bivon, maybe the most interesting bout for him is actually Kovalev. I would pay to see that. That's pay-per-view <laughs> in my opinion. It's better than watching him go down to 168 to fight Canelo. About where Canelo loses, he was too small. Bivol loses, oh, he was weight-drained. Let's have two natural guys at the weight fighting. For unification as well. Yeah, and it's the it's probably the top two guys in the division, possibly. But it's going to definitely decide the number one, I guess. Sign me up for that fight if that happens. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I think it just makes sense probably for him to, to stay at the weight. Um, and, and make fights there, unify, try and get all the belts. Like Triple G used to say, I want and my let, belts. And let Smith, let Benavidez, let Zerda all move up. Let them come and get you. Yeah, you don't have to move down and, and drain yourself, especially since 175. I mean, he's comfortable there. But 168, that's, a, that's kind of a big difference. And uh, that could also hurt your, yourself uh, on the night of the fight by draining yourself too much or cutting the weight down too much before. Yeah, he's always seemed like a natural fit at light, mid, at light heavyweight. He's not a big guy at the weight, but he's naturally there. He's one seventh off pretty much every fight he's had. The Filipino legend, Donnie Nietes. Well, he vacated his recently uh, won, or he recently won the WBO Superfly weight title over Ioka, but he vacated it which kind of now opens the door for Kazuto Ioka? 
certainly opens the door to Ayoka fighting Aston Polictor. They're ranked, I believe, number one in Polictor's case and number four in Ayoka's case, with the guys ranked number two and number three both set for uh, other world title bouts, with there being one Francisco Estrada and Ryuichi Funai, who are going to fight for the Dewey BC and IBF titles, respectively. So it certainly does leave the door open to Ayoka versus Polictor. Now, why do you think Donnie did this? I know that there were a couple theories. One, he wants to chase bigger fights because he's ending his career or he's moving towards the end of his career. Two, is he just getting out of the fight game altogether? It sounds like he's going to continue. I think he's probably got one or two fights left in him before he does call it quits. I wouldn't be surprised if he does get one big bout, but the issue, I guess, at the moment of Super Flyweight is the big fighters are booked. Shvisaket is set for Estrada. Uh, Ankars is set for Funai. Who do you fight that's a big fight there other than Roman Gonzalez? So maybe it's moving up for him, possibly, to try and secure a fifth belt uh, at a fifth weight class? Possibly, but which of those titles are going to become available this year with the WBSS taking three years to complete? Make a good point there. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, who is he going to fight? Like, Luis Neri for for that title? I don't know. But it's interesting because now Aoka will get another shot. And he's, of course, chasing a fourth belt in a fourth weight class, something that no Japanese fighter has ever done. So that would be a good look for him, especially because against Nietes, it wasn't like he was dominated. That was a fight that could have really gone either way. Yeah, yeah, that was razor thin. Uh, people said it was a robbery. People said it's a fair decision. It's one of those that was very close, very hard to call. He's actually wouldn't be the first Japanese fighter to become a four weight champion. He'd be the first male fighter. Uh, let's give a little bit of respect to the ladies out there. Naoka Fujioka is a five weight world champion from Japan. See, thank you. I no, I I appreciate the correction. Gotta respect the women out there, and we're. Going to talk about a, a lady a little later on who's uh, making her name on the scene. Uh, for Ioka, I heard he also has a new girlfriend. Is that true? Yeah, he's uh, got a new model girlfriend who is set to marry her later this year, and she's already pregnant. So I'm not really sure how he's managed to jump from one relationship straight into another one. He uh, he got divorced from his singer, wife, Nana Tanemura in November and already has a new model on his arm. Well done, Kazuto. Dudes like the Tom Brady or the Derek Jeter of Japanese boxing. Playa. We're talking about women's boxing and they're actually going to be having a couple big title fights going on next week. Yeah, on March 13th, they get Victor Riva 4. Uh, it's a women's only card that follows the previous three Victor Victor Evers, which are just it's a showcase of female boxing for all intents and purposes. This one has two really interesting title bouts on there, even though at the, at the box rec only actually shows one of them. The one box rec list is Mio Yoshida defending her Japanese female bantamweight title against Yoshio uh, Yoshi Wakasa. That's a Really, it's a really solid belt. 
watching the two fighters, they've got styles that should make for an entertaining eight-round contest. The other belt is a OPBF female and JBC female atomweight title belt between Eri Matsuda and Nana Suzuki, which is a much, much better belt. But not on BoxRec. BoxRec lists it, it just doesn't recognize the atomweight division at all, which is 102 pounds. It's a strange one. You'd imagine by now they would realize it is a real division. It's recognized by, I think, three of the world title bodies, the JBC, the OPBF. Recognize it, damn you. <laughs> Matsuda managed to claim the OPBF title in just his second belt um, and is now unifying with the JBC champion. If you watch Masuda, she's really talented, pure boxer. This sort of natural box that you don't really see in female boxing. She's very technically sharp, very intelligent on the ring. Fantastic job, brilliant movement. Suzuki, on the other hand, is all pressure. She comes forward, she looks to make a fight, she looks to cut the distance. But this should be this should be really, really, really fun. See, I'm going to have to try and watch this, tune into this, because I have to be quite honest, I am not the most avid women's boxing fan. Probably haven't seen too many women's boxing matches in my time. But I'm interested in, in watching Mas- Matsuda fight, especially since she only, this is her second, or it's going to be her third fight. And she's already going yeah. for a title. Yeah, there's two standout female prospects in Japan. One of them is Eri Matsuda. Other is Kasumi Seki, who had her third belt on the same show that Matsuda won her title on. Seki is probably the more gifted fighter. She's a lot more exciting. She's a lot more fun to watch. Very, very, very quick. And she's meant to be fighting for a world title in April, but that belt hasn't yet been announced. Seki and Matsuda are gonna they're gonna fly the flag for female boxing in Japan. What weight class is Seki? Seki's minimum weight. It, she could probably do anything from atom weight up to light flyweight for the right opportunity, but she is she's on the smaller side of that. She is probably probably a natural atom weight who can move up a couple of divisions. So we could see Matsuda and Seki fight, possibly. Very possibly. They probably wouldn't be fighting anytime soon, but we know Japan. We know they'll throw them in. It's about it's natural to make in two to three years' time. Now a couple of days after the March thirteenth show, again that's going to be uh next week there's uh isn't there some show march 16th i i don't know it it, it deals with some three division champ he's going up against a, a former world champ i i forgot what this fight was but uh fill us in on this would, would this be the kose tanaka ryoichi taguchi fight from gifu i think it is yeah yeah um it's it's a good one, isn't it? Uh, the unbeaten Kosa Tanaka, 12 and 0, has won world titles at minimum weight, light flyweight, flyweight. He's probably in the 2018 fight of the year with Shokimura. He will be, uh, be making his first defense of the flyweight title as he takes on Ryuichi Diguchi, a former unified light flyweight champion. And it's going to be available to watch free and online on AsianBoxing.info due to a fantastic deal we've cut ACDC um, in Japan. This is where that that gif of Jack Nicholson just nodding his head up and down. I'm ready for it. And, like you said, the undercard's going to be on it. 
yeah, we've also got um, the undercard. I don't know how many bouts will actually be streamed, but we know Kento Hatanaka's bout will be. Uh, Yushi Tanaka's bout, Konshin Takashima and Takuya Mizuno's bout are all expected to be shown on the undercard stream. Mizuno's bout isn't listed on BoxRec. His opponent for the bout isn't actually known because it's changed in the last week. Uh, but all three of um, all four of those bouts will be shown. It doesn't get much better than that. One, you have two of the better Japanese fighters and two of the better fighters in the world at that weight class going up against each other. Two, it's going to be on AsianBoxing.info for free. Completely free, except for those in Japan who sadly won't get it through us, but we'll get it through terrestrial TV. Okay, well, they still they still get it free as well. And I don't want to diss America or the UK, but sometimes we have to pay for fights that aren't up to the level of pay-per-view. And then we get this, Tanaka Taguchi for free. And the undercard, which features some fantastic young talent. Uh, Kento Hatanaka, the son of the promoter, Kiyoshi Hatanaka. He's really exciting. Uh, a little bit on the raw side, but very, very exciting. Konshin Takashima is another fantastic talent from the sort of uh, Shibu region of Japan. And Takuya Mizuno will be... I think he's probably going to be the one that fans are going to have the most fun watching other than the main event fighters. I tip my hat to you, Scott, for making this happen again. Uh, I know the fans out there appreciate it, especially after seeing the first fight with the same company as well, CBC. I still remember watching that and obviously because it was the best fight of last year stoked after getting to watch that for free uh, that made my year and i know this uh, it's going to be another interesting tactical exciting brutal fight between these two champions so i think a lot of people out there who follow asian boxing on twitter and go to asianboxing.info they are excited for this one they bloody well should be. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it ticks every box in it. You have two world-class fighters. You have an unbeaten guy risking his record. You have a world title on the line. The only people who won't enjoy it are those who are naturally, naturally picky on the little guys. Yeah, all right, fine. You're right. Your kid wears the same as them. Well done. You're a fat kid. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why we don't, we don't like the little fighters because, one, sometimes they're more technically proficient than the bigger fighters. So that should be something you should should love as a boxing fan. But two, they're not scared to trade with each other. And sometimes we don't see that at the bigger weight classes. And we complain about that. Don't complain and just watch Tanaka Taguchi. All, all your problems will be solved. They also don't hide behind this annoying TV issue that we have with fighters in the US and UK. Um, are we going to see Joshua versus Wilder or Fury this year? Probably not. Will, eh. we, see Tanaka... <laughs> Will we see Tanaka Taguchi? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when the bout was first touted in 2016, they were actually on different TV networks. Since then, they've both signed up with the same affiliate network. We're not having TV deals block these little fighters from fighting. They want the fight. They make them. 
It's as simple as that. And I wish the U.S. and U.K. fighters would follow suit because that's the biggest problem in boxing. It's not talent because the talent's there. It's, this is a great time for boxing when you look at talent. It's television deals. It's promoters not being able to get together, break bread at the table and say, let's just get this fight on. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've mentioned a uh, potential Kenshiro versus Hirota Kaiguchi fight. Again, they're on different TV networks, but they both said deals will be made if they can. They're not hiding in the TV contracts they're with. They're willing to um, get the TV companies on the table. They're willing to do what they can to make the belt. And I think we need to see a lot more of that in boxing. Not see Eddie Hearn versus PBC versus Aram versus whoever and then just argue on twitter for like a day about how uh i'm doing things right you aren't and then nothing gets done yeah all right it's funny enough to see steven espinoza and eddie hearn have a little spot that takes a full night but what's come of that nothing let's let's grow up people it's frustrating it's frustrating as we enter the 12th round of our podcast any extra news that you want to talk about today scott there's been a few little bits and bobs like Masao Nakamura's now announced his second retirement, ending a three-fight comeback. It's a shame. I like Nakamura. He's exciting, but I don't think it has been it for a while. He should have probably got a world title fight in his prime. He didn't. Uh, he can't criticize the guy for retiring, but it does feel like he could have done so much more. Kanat Islam has uh, delayed his comeback indefinitely due to his injury not healing up, which is really frustrating. Islam might not be a world beater in the making. He might not be as good as he thought he was. But it is still a shame that he looks like he's going to be headed into retirement. Then there's... <laughs> there's also the fact that Akira Yaigashi has had his April 8th opponent named as... Sahafap Bunop, a Thai guy who's four and two with three knockouts. Four and two, really? Yeah. And, and he's going up against losses. Yaigashi. He's going up against Yaigashi, and both his losses have been by stoppage in Japan. I think we can assume how this one's going to end, everybody. It might be a quick night for him. Does Yaigashi do quick nights? Usually not. He usually doesn't, but uh, this one might be. I understand why they've matched him easily. I, I understand the idea behind getting them a confidence-building win, keeping him busy, but it's not a main event quality fight. It's actually a really disappointing fight, given given Andy Hirawaka, who we were speaking about earlier, is fighting, <laughs> fighting on the card against an unbeaten tie. It would be a fantastic chance to, you know, really showcase what Hirooka can do. Or Taku Kawahara's on that card. Highlight what he can do. Put Yaigashi in the middle of the show. Get him to, you know, bring the fans in. But, yeah, it just feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity. Yeah, usually the Ohashi Gym likes to put out good cards. And, and that card was shaping up to be very, very interesting. Except for the Yaigashi fight. Yeah, yeah, I imagine either Matsumoto or Kuwahara will get a good opponent. Uh, Sean Nakazawa is not going to be tested. He's stopped last time out. He's been beaten in two of his last three. Uh, Nakazawa will be easy matched. Yaigashi's been easy matched. Let's hope Matsumoto, who again, 
was himself beaten in his last two fights. Uh, he needs a big win. It looks like it's probably going to be one of the worst Ohashi cars of the year. I think that's a bit unfortunate. Hiraoka, that might be the only fight on there watching. I'd suggest Kuhara's is going to be fun. I don't know who his opponent's going to be yet, but he's a sensational talent. Is uh, Taka Kuhara. His last bout, it's a strange one. His last bout was against a guy who's not uh, 2 0. He was himself 2 0. It's probably as good of bout between two fighters with 2 0 records as you'll ever see. It was just high level skill from start to end. So there you have it the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info. Remember to mark the calendar on your date, March 16th, Tanaka, Taguchi, online at AsianBoxing.info for free. I'm excited. Scott's ready for it. I think you're waiting with bated breath so we can all watch a great bout. Of course, thank you so much for listening to our podcast this week. Uh, Next week, we'll have uh, probably some more to talk about, especially maybe a a deeper look into that Tanaka Taguchi fight. But it's been Scott, Colin on the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Asian Boxing.